Welcome back to Lonely Town, a killer's podcast with Jimmy McKnight and Derek Everett. And we have a very special episode, Jimmy. It's an official first guest episode first of Lonely Town. And uh, with us, well, is Mr. Kyle Ashworth. Special? Yeah, your mother told me you were. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, Kyle, why are you here? I don't know. Um, I, I recognize some old face, and like emphasis on old. Um, At least you recognize us. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little while. We, we were all part of the graduating class of 2000. Do you have any connection with Brandon Flowers? Do you have any memories of the killers being famous? Who? <laughs> and that's the show, folks. So hopefully he fixed our tin cup issue. You know what? Like, And I've just listened to some of your earlier episodes. It's interesting because when... So you, Derek and I, were serving our LDS missions at the time when Brandon really became Brandon, like when things were happening for the killers. And I can't remember if I had just come home or if you had just come home, Derek. It, either we talked on the phone or wrote a letter. So if, if it was the phone, it was at the mission because sure. we yeah. followed all the rules. You know it. It was, it was up when you were uh, hanging out with uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> I don't know if he's even talking that's about that. That's true story. Yeah, that's, 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 that's true. But I remember you, you're, uh, the whole Brandon Flowers thing, my awareness of it happened because of Derek. And, and I remember you saying, hey, do you, do you remember Brandon? Which I remember Brandon. I mean, some of the, like my fond memories are just sharing food together between Lots and Lots and Taco Time. And then the, the, I worked at the radio station, which obviously there was an interest there in his world. And Nephi had one of the most high-quality radio stations broadcasting live from an old seminary building in a small town. Kicking Country. Kicking Country 103.9. Surprised that we remember all these things. So, yeah, I mean, you grew up... So, I, the point, I was just talking thinking about... Uh, you said, hey, do you, do you remember Brandon? Which I, I remember Brandon, obviously, but not, like, Killer's Brandon. Which I thought was really cool. A, coming from a small town and being able to see someone have some success, which, when you follow his disc- discography or his discs, his, the message of his CDs is kind of cool, like message of his, his uh, band, which is cool because that's kind of the highlight of coming from a small town doing something cool and how do you like me now? Kind of There's definitely some of that in there. I actually uh, I took a trip down to Vegas a couple weeks ago. Um, it's been since the last time we recorded. And we've talked a lot about how he came from Nephi and how somebody coming from Nephi to international superstardom and stuff, how that's kind of catching lightning in a bottle and how amazing that is. Uh, but then I was down in Vegas, and you know, you drive around the Strip, or you just do whatever Vegas is, and see all the entertainment and all the competition in Vegas. I almost had another epiphany of like, it might have been easier to have made it big coming from Nephi than to make it big in Vegas, because it's just, I mean, there's just so many options, and, and talk about small fish in a big pond, versus, I don't think they'd ever made a go in Nephi, I just don't think that would have worked, we've talked about that before, but I mean... I, I had more appreciation for, for the Killers and Brandon. I know we talk a lot about Brandon, but the band in general, of how they made it in Vegas after going there and looking at it and driving around just thinking, man, there's, there's somebody on every corner that wants to make it big there. I think sometimes when you think about that, um, fame features the anomaly. Like when you, some of the people who make it really big in the world make it because they're a little bit of an oddity. They're, they're a little different than everyone else. And I think Brandon had that ability. Because uh, if you listen to Brandon, 
not as the lead singer of the Killers, he's a little odd. Like, there's... This is funny because we were talking about in the beginning of his, his current album, just listening to the monologues from the people who <clears throat> kind of begin each of these songs, and and Jay would say things like, oh, that sounds just like your mother, or that sounds just like your sister. <laughs> like, of course, they're from Nephi. Like, just the just that Nephi drawl, the, the way people speak, um, that's a little bit of an oddity, and, and I think that has to do with some people's success, because they that is a little different. So when you're when you pull out of town and you hit your wagon and and move to a new location, other people pick up on even just little things like dialect. And I think Brennan had some of that. Um, there was something a little different. And I, and I watched him on a number of interviews. Um, like later on in life, as I worked for other radio stations, we interviewed him um, a few times. Which just his just that you. Should we just call it eutonics? I think. Eutonics is, yeah. Just yeah. the way he speaks um, is very Utah, and it's recognizable to us, but also, I think maybe to answer your question, that I think absolutely it, it gave him a little bit of a an edge, maybe. Differentiated him. Differentiated him, yeah. Yeah, so uh, before we move on for talking about the country station, <laughs> I wanted to bring that up because there's a song in, uh, in Another Life, I believe. He says... When will I make it home when this jukebox in the corner stops playing country songs of stories that sound like mine? So I wanted to say, you worked at a country radio station in Nephi. Did you, do you think, what do you think it is, is about country music that people in Nephi, that makes people in Nephi gravitate towards it? I think it's home. But also, like, a lot, a lot of the lyrics in a lot of his songs, it's everything from, um, I mean, just... The green alfalfa fields, the towering mountains, specific in this album, the West Hill, Hills, the Salt Creek, um, all those things were, that was country to us. And I, even growing up in a small high school, um, so much of that is country. And when you when you talk about small populous communities, you mainly are talking about communities in, in the West, at least, that are driven by farming and ranching, and that's all familiar territory. Um, I also, I mean, I do know that there, in his own personal life, there absolutely was some draw to, I I just remember, he came to the radio station a few times, so I, I don't know what his own personal draw was to kick in country, but um, <laughs> why anybody, I don't know, and, and does it have something to do with, like, the local celebrity idea of it? Because um, you guys, I mean, Charlie Hall and Charlie Cruz and Natasha Brown, uh, the morning show, I can't remember... Well, most people remember Ray Wanty, the old sales guy. He's the guy who got, you know, just, and here's another side note, sidetrack. He's the one who got us kicked out of the elementary school on radio day, on career day, right. with the fourth graders. I don't know if you guys knew the story. No. We will now. I shouldn't, I think Ray might have passed on to the eternal gates. Likely hell, given his <laughs> track record in life. But we go to the fourth grade, we go to Nephi Elementary, it's career day at Nephi Elementary, and we meet with the fourth graders, and it was uh, Charlie and Tasha and me and Ray Wanty and his wife, Ellen, Eleanor, he'd always call her Eleanor, and one of the fourth grade kids said, Mr. Wanty, Mr. Wanty, how did you get such a deep voice? And without skipping a beat, he looked him straight in the eyes and said, cheap liquor and unfiltered cigarettes, kids. <laughs> 
And I, I can't remember who the fourth grade teacher was, but she was mortified because all Ray wanted to talk about was then his military days and, and drinking endless amounts of liquor and smoking uh, unfiltered cigarettes. And that's how you that's how you work in radio, kids. That's how, that's how you get out of fourth grade uh, career day, kids. We were never invited back to career day in Nephi Elementary School. Well, I got a kicking country story. And uh, I used to go hang out with Kyle quite a bit, and I don't know what my attraction was either, except for it was Nephi, it was something to do, and it was, it was kind of cool. It was a radio station, it was different. In Nephi, there wasn't a lot of different. Everything was pretty much, you know, the same for the most part. And uh, anyways, it was something different. And Kyle let me play my first song on the radio. And he said, what do you, what do you want to play? So I went through the whole selection, and I was going to make it good. And at the time, I wasn't a big country fan. And I found Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville. <laughs> once, once again, it's one of those stories I remember. I got you to put on Margaritaville, and Jimmy Buffett played across the Nephi airwaves, and I just thought I was, yeah, I don't know, a rebel without a cause or something, because <laughs> that was borderline. You know, there was somebody that was listening to that saying, this ain't country. Life was complete. We probably got a few phone calls on that one, but we'd, we'd hang out down there and uh, listen to some, some old jazz games, and that was a good time. Yeah, we used to broadcast the Utah Jazz game on the Jazz Radio Network, and we would always discuss the conspiracy theory because we, the Jazz always had the game scheduled, especially during playoff time, and it was like they already had the, the game scheduled and they had not even won or lost them yet. And it was always intriguing to me to figure out how they worked that. As a young, like, 17, 16, 17-year-old kid, you were always into these conspiracy theories. But I'm still them. But uh, I, <laughs> I was always hoping that we'd hear Hot, Hot Rod Hunley was the announcer at the time, and I was always hoping we'd have one of those same stories that you had at fourth grade. I was hoping we'd hear something off the mic of Hot Rod just, you know, saying something you can say on the air. But they always cut it just in time. I mean, I, there was a whole world behind that of how they uh, broadcast, and that's a whole other podcast probably, but... Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, you got to see behind the curtain a little bit to see how those broadcasts work, which are fun. Um, it is it's a fun world. Speaking of songs, just when you were talking about Jimmy Buffett and Margaritaville, um, Alison Krause's When You Say Nothing At All was one of the most requested songs. Annie Mangelson. I don't know her married name now, I can't remember. But, um, and I remember she requested it so many times um, that I, re- I memorized the cart number. It was 1746. Uh, when you say nothing at all, and I remember all these years later. And then they switched format and uh, and sold the radio sh- station. Yeah, that happened when we were um, seniors. Um, actually, the the new owner came in to buy it when we were seniors in 2000, and then I went to school um, in 2001, or that for that year, and in the middle of that, Chris Devine purchased uh, 1039. I think he, his first flip was to Diana. They, it was called Diana 103.9. I remember they sent me a T-shirt, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is this? This is ugly. And um, his, that was his wife's name or daughter's name or something. And, and then they ended up merging with U92 and a couple other versions. Really, the, so the anomaly for, for Kickin' Country was that uh, it broadcast into the Salt Lake market but only paid Nephi, Utah rent rates. And so Charlie had created a digital radio station, one of the first digital, full digital radio stations in the state of Utah, and he had it in Nephi, of all places. And when these big companies found out that he, what he had, it was on the market, and uh, he was able to dump that for a really great retirement. He made, he made life-changing money on that, if I remember right. So. Yeah, he did. Good for him. Well, should we get at the, uh, the task at hand? I don't know an easy way to go about this, so I'm going to make it awkward. And uh... Let me read from um, Brandon's... Uh, description on the Apple review or the Apple album preview for Terrible Thing. He says, Years after high school, 
You hear about a kid you went to school with that was gay and nobody knew. It's just such a cowboy football hunting country town. I tried to work through this person's experience in town and how hard it must be to be in a culture like that, to not even feel safe to tell anyone who you are. Because when you were a kid or you're in high school, you don't have that courage, and I don't blame them. Uh, Terrible Thing is a song about um, a gay boy growing up in Utah and um, some of the descriptions of the town that um, aren't flattering. And I think uh, it's right after West or right after Quiet Town, which is like super complimentary to the town and its people. And then you jump straight to this song, which is you know almost diametrically opposed in you know talking about cobwebs. A cobweb town, barbed wire town, uh, quicksand streets. It's like, wait, what happened to the salt of the land? You know, and it just goes to show. You know, we've talked about it a couple times that uh, people have different experiences in the same place and at the same time. And uh, you know, as you get older, you start to realize some of those and come to appreciate the different experiences that people have that are different from your own. Yeah, I mean, uh, me and Jimmy have been breaking down each song, going through. I know Kyle's been listening. I guess the people listening have been listening, so I'm just going to explain to everyone what they already know. But we've been going down, you know, song by song, and we came up to uh, Lonely Town, and I thought, you know, me and Jimmy aren't in a spot where we can adequately describe this. We can give our interpretation of it, and we probably will go back through and talk terrible about... Thing. Oh, terrible thing, yeah. sorry. We'll go back through and give up, you know, we'll talk about the Salt Creek, or we'll talk about the Bathing Beauty, and we can, we can have all that, but uh, the subject matter and all that, I mean, we can sympathize with, but we can't really relate to. So I got a hold of Kyle, and Kyle kind of could share more of his personal experience, I guess. How do we go about this, Kyle? So you're calling me your token gay, is that what you're saying? Well, I know a couple of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I think it's good to bring up Quiet Town first, because um, when I first listened to the album and listened to all these descriptors of Quiet Town, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't live in that city. Like, that did seem like, especially some of the lyrics in the album that talk about Nephi being ultra-forgiving and... Um, like quick he, to forgive. Quick it's... to forgive. Yeah. I'm thinking, hmm, I guess I missed that section of town. I thought I'd traveled every street. Uh, but don't remember the quick to forgive streets. I don't, I don't remember everyone clinging to their crosses, which probably was just a way of uh, integrating religion. For sure, uh, Nephi was a super religious town. Um, I mean, obviously more LDS chapels than stoplights. And I'm trying to think, we did have a stoplight when we were in high school. We had the red blinking light, and we got the stoplight. I'm not sure on the exact year, but it was a big, it was big to do when it happened. But the, by the old manor, yeah, that's where the red blinking light was at. Oh, it was still, it was in the four cross. Yeah, where, the, where, it's at. Yeah, where the stoplight is now. Yeah, where yeah, the yeah. stoplight is now. Yeah. That was a pretty busy intersection if you're going over to uh, TJ's for a, for a you know, sandwich or something. I'm glad the light was there just for you, Stampede Time. <laughs> but, no, we're going to get derailed so fast. That's what I do. Which I think is out, which is song number seven, if we want to bring in the train. Um, but grow, So growing up, um, I mean, clearly, growing up in a small town um, as a marginalized kid, growing up gay in a small town is of zero interest to anyone um because it's tough it's not and i think brandon does a fair job at kind of analyzing um what that experience is like but this isn't it we actually we did an interview with him i'm guessing in like seven or eight it was right after sam's town came out um 
and and you're a star I think has a ton of gay overtones in it um, and that was a question that I had we didn't bring it up or discuss it but that was a question that I wondered because listening to the albums and growing up in Nephi it's easy to put faces um, and names to what you think are being sung in these songs and so you look at some of those names and faces and, and think oh, perhaps like I can see where some of the lyrics come from or some of the ideas behind the songs come from but this album was different because I think Brandon just come out and said like this is this is a topic so there was a question in there at some point wasn't there Derek? well now let's let's do the, the question of okay you're in the 90s um, we're going to high school together I have no clue that you're gay I don't know do you have a clue that you're gay at this point 100% yeah so so how was how is that how what's what's that like um, my own personal experience, um, so growing up in a high-demand religion, like Mormonism, um, there, there's, trying to think of the best way to help a listener understand this, um, religion has a lot to do with the way we um, perform and the, and the things that we do in our life. And you can, you can look at that in terms of just general morality, but also um, a hope for the future. So growing up, I was super Mormon. Like um, My family wasn't overly religious, but growing up knowing that you're different and growing up knowing that there's an organization out there like a church, like a faith community, that has made certain promises like um, if you do certain things, this stuff goes away, um, that you cling to that. And I think that's kind of what I was alluding to with some of the stuff that was mentioned in the, in the album that there, here's a very religious community um, that's offering lots of hope and lo- offering lots of opportunity, um, but not necessarily able to give that. And so growing up in the 90s, I mean, I, I knew I was gay as young as probably seven or eight, I remember. Um, but growing up gay and also growing up Mormon, there are promises, serve a mission, get married in the temple, um, fulfill your callings, Righteous church service, um, all that stuff by doing like the Spencer W. Kimball knock until your fingers bleed, pray until your knees are calloused mentality in Mormonism um, leaves the door open that this stuff can go away. So, is it easy to talk about? No. Do you want to talk about it? Absolutely not. If it's going to go away, why bring it up? And so, I think that's what really contributed to a lot of my closetedness was it's not that anybody wakes up in the morning saying, hey, I want to be gay. I, at least, I mean, I spend a lot of time in this space with a lot of people who um, are within the LGBTQ community, and I've not yet met anybody who woke up one morning saying, hey, I chose this. Um, so there's there's an aspect of that that makes you feel somewhat marginalized, somewhat different and distanced, just because of something that you didn't choose or decide to become. And that weighs on you, and, and I see why... suicidality and and thoughts of suicide become so rampant, especially in small towns, because how are these young kids able to express what they're really going going through? Um, Their religious community doesn't understand them. Um, And I'm talking about just particular to Utah, their Mormon wards, their faith communities, they're they're not equipped or able to understand those experiences. Their faith leaders, like bishops and state presidents, aren't able to uh, they're they're going to give the same advice that the church has always given. Mission marriage children, just forget about it. Get married in the temple. Um, 
just start a new life and this will all go away. And that's the best advice they have because those leaders have not experienced this side of the aisle either. And so you, you basically grow up. It's not even just a small town issue. It happens in large towns. You grow up on an island, really isolated, and you fend for yourself. So most of the, most of the kids, in my experience, it was that you isolate yourself. You find a good group of kids, friends that are safe, that um, support you and that you feel comfortable with, but then you generally stay pretty isolated. One, because you, you don't, many closeted gay kids don't date very often because you don't want to form a connection. Um, you, you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. You, it's difficult to make um, solid connections and friendships because if they really know, knew who I was, would they really want to be my friend? They're my friend because I created somebody. I created this alter ego. Or if they really knew who I was, it would require me to tear down this fortress that I built around me to protect who and what I am. So that's kind of a, a glimpse into what it's like um, for a young kid to grow up in an ultra-conservative religious community like Nephi, Utah, or other small towns all across America. That Nephi is not an, an anomaly in this space. And, and it's not uh, an unfamiliar experience for people who also come from big cities. That same, the same feelings of, there's a book, um, it's, called, it's called The Velvet Rage that I read. Um, it was really good, and it, it just talks about our, our internal identity and how it often doesn't match our external identity for that, that idea that we create these fortresses, these shells around us. And I don't think this is just a gay thing either. I think so many of us do that on our own. We, we, there's, some, there's the person that we are intrinsically within our fortress, and then there's the person that we want the world to see. And I think the, the greater person is the one who's able to knock down those walls and get rid of those, those fortresses sooner or first in life, and then allows the world to see them for who and what they are. That's what authenticity looks like. That's what honesty looks like. Um, when we when we tear down all of the facades that we want the world to see see or think of us, um, that's really where people start making progress. And for me, that that happened when I did eventually come out and eventually become okay with who and what I was. And and I guess maybe in Mormon terms, um, no longer worried about what the world thought of me and what other people could perceive me as. And for the first time was okay with who I was and okay with, with just being who I was created to be. Um, and when, when someone is able to, to latch hold of that, you can do incredible things, um, not desperate things. Um, and so I, think, I really like that part of, of terrible things. And I, I'm, still, I'm still, the jury's still out as to whether or not I love the song um, because I think it ends really, really weird. Um, and it ends with not sure if the kid finally commits suicide, com- completes suicide, or if he just moves on with his life because the song just ends. Um, and I've thought, like, I've rehearsed that idea over and over again. And I've, I've also considered, um, because I listened to that album, and I'm like, well, obviously he's not talking about me because he had no idea. There were some people in our high school that were out, a few, not very many, but there were a couple kids in our high school that were gay and out, and uh, at the same in the same age group class and in some of the same classes as well. And I thought, is he speaking to that person directly? And 
And uh, I'm not aware of anyone from our graduating class or even years around us that completed suicide um, specific to this topic. So I'm thankful that that was not lyrics that were written into this album. Um, so, you know, Nephi's, a, like, just growing up in that small town, it's not an ideal place to come out as a gay kid, for sure. Um, but times are changing, too. Like, the, the messaging, the comfort level around this topic, it, even in the last five years, has changed so dramatically that um, people are able to finally um, come out without, with fewer repercussions and with much greater support. Um, and that has to do often with the distancing of religion, distancing of families, which is unfortunate, because, um, and I say this probably way too often, but for some of us who grew up gay and Mormon at the same time, um, one of those is a choice, and the other one isn't. And often when, when someone comes to that realization and chooses the one that brings them chooses the one that they couldn't change, um, that's usually where they can make the most progress. And that's unfortunate, because um, I, th I think both are important, and both can be uh, super beneficial to someone's life. It's just unfortunate that one of them causes a lot of harm. I suppose both of them cause harm um, in different respects. Thank you for that perspective. It's, you know, it's interesting to think about the changes since the 90s around the topic and how, you know, life would be different for a teenager now versus a teenager how many years ago? <laughs> Way too. 20? Over, over 25? 20. We'll, just, yeah. we'll call it a, a short 20. Oh, yeah, no, it has been 25, almost. Well, we haven't graduated. We'll call it 20. For 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we are old. Yeah, you're right. And I, I sometimes look at this, Jimmy, like um, bandwidth. How much bandwidth did we waste, did I waste running and hiding? And what could I have done if I hadn't had to worry about being a gay kid, closeted? And, and it also wasn't, for me it wasn't the end of the world either. I didn't, I didn't ever think, um, I didn't ever have, I don't recall suicidality, I didn't recall having thoughts of suicide, I recall the difficult parts of the journey, like constantly knowing that um, I knew I was different, and I knew that um, I, I knew I was wrong, and I was dirty, and I was ugly, and I was sinful, and I was all the things that a religious community had told me I was. Um, and it's difficult to climb out of that, knowing that um, I didn't. I knew what others thought of me, and people like me, and I heard what the and frankly, some of my own friends, I heard what they said about this topic. And the tough part was when you look from my perspective into those conversations and you say, but I don't, I'm not any of those. So, like, how do you bridge those gaps? And I think that might be, like, that when I talk about the, the bandwidth that is lost, all that time, like, um, like, worrying about what everyone else was thinking and saying and acting um, or doing um, on behalf of this topic caused me and others like me the inability to move on uh, the, or the inability to move forward. So, so much bandwidth wasted. Uh, and I think that's why we're in such a better place today than we were roughly two decades <laughs> before this. Give or take. Give or take. Another half decade. Well, going back, um, I do relate with, we were talking about 
earlier with Nephi being good people and, and willing to forgive and, and bearing each other's crosses. So I have a different perspective than you. Um, I'm sure we all have different perspectives. But I know people listening. I know we got a pretty good audience in Nephi. Um, I had people come through. I, had a, I was at a, a funeral. My grandfather passed away a few weeks ago. People were coming through the line. You get your condolences. I had several people say they're listening to the show. They enjoy the show. So I know people are out there listening. Um, we don't. How how do we bridge this gap? Religion's not going anywhere. Uh, Nephi's not going to become a not Mormon town, secular, anything. So how do we bridge this to where uh, kids like you, people that were in your circumstance, I know we're doing better as a people. Uh, I'm embarrassed because some of the words I said, I probably said to you, gay was kind of a, just a slur, like don't be stupid, don't be gay, don't whatever. I'm sure I said all the time. We play, you know, smear the queer, whatever. We'd say hurtful things that we didn't know were hurtful. I sure didn't mean to hurt your feelings or say any of that in front of you to... I mean, I had no clue. Not that it made it right, but it was just... We've, we've evolved as people kind of that way. I think we try to be better. We try to say better things. There's people in Nephi that might not agree or think whatever about gay people, but they don't want to hurt feelings. They don't want people to feel oppressed. They don't want... They don't want it to be that icky feeling. I mean, they want to be able to love and have that relationship. I think with the religion, it makes it hard, and people don't know how to bridge that gap. Uh, from somebody that was there in that spot, what are some things that can be done that are realistic uh, that somebody listening right now can do? Because you know as well as I do, when they go to Sunday school or when they go to these church meetings, there's kids, and you know to some extent sometimes, okay, this kid's probably in that situation, um, I don't want him to feel neglected. I don't want him to feel not loved. I don't want him to feel like he has to go, you know, think about ending his life or something horrible like that. And the same, you're supposed to teach him what you're supposed to teach him. And that's, you know, that's a big level. We, we don't control that in Nephi. We don't control that in our local congregations. So what can we do as people to bridge that gap or help those kids so that they don't have that situation? It's a great question. Um, and I, you answered it really in asking the question in a number of different ways. Uh, one of them is awareness. Like you said, I wasn't aware that you were gay. Um, so too often we um, marginalize people because we're not aware of certain things. Um, well, had I known that you were this way, I would have treated you different. How about just treating people the same instead of treating people because you're aware of them uh, or you're aware of something specific to their uh, individual circumstance? So uh, I think awareness is important, but also just genuinely being a decent human being and realizing that not every Derek experience is every Kyle experience. Likewise, not every Kyle experience is a Derek or Jimmy experience. So um, we all have unique um, talents, opportunities, um, and gifts to give to the world. And marginalizing somebody because they're different or marginalizing someone because it's the fun or cool thing to do in society, we've quickly learned how damaging that can be, uh, especially in relation to suicide and, and depression, um, and even bigger within religious communities. I do have to push back a little bit, too. You say religion isn't changing, and, and in terms of this topic, um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has absolutely changed in many aspects regarding this topic. Um, when you and I were in high school... Uh, um, there were completely different policies and doctrines in place concerning this topic. Um, even a little further behind, like when our parents were in school, and 
during the church's time with Spencer Kimball and some of the church leaders at that point, just being gay was a sin. Not acting on it, not having, and I say that in air quotes, um, just being gay was a sin. And it was the sin next to murder. So in the 70s and 80s, that was the mentality that was taught in Mormonism, that it wasn't you leaving the fold to go find a husband or wife or date. It was just being gay was a sin. Um, that's not taught in church anymore. Um, the church has actually been quite clear that acting on it is a, is a sin. Being gay is not. Um, the church has further went to say that being gay is not a choice. Um, when we grew up, even in the 80s and 90s, you chose to be gay. And it was something that was either a learned behavior. It was because of an overbearing mother or a distant father um, or a variety of other self-care activities. Um, to keep this as a family-friendly Family-friendly, yeah. Um, those were all things that the church openly taught um, from the pulpit. And now they've completely distanced themselves from that. And, got, and, and thankfully, um, the lived experiences of the queer community, of the gay community, has helped shift the church's narrative. Um, but then the third part of your question that you even self-answered um, was that so many church leaders and so, and so many people within our local congregations and even in small towns have realized that they are parents, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, family members of a gay person. Statistically, um, nationwide, the old statistics that were done in the late 90s, early 2000s, showed about 8 to 10% of the population identified somewhere along the LGBTQ spectrum. So lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender. But today's research um, is even showing higher than that. There were, two there were two studies that was done, one specific to Brigham Young University, that showed 18% of its population. These are not just random surveys, but surveys specific last year to BYU students on campus, and 18% of them said that they were not straight. Gen Z Mormons, which are, um, are 18, 19, 20-year-old Latter-day Saints, um, reported numbers as high as 23% that were not straight. So a quarter of our, so there's five of us in this room, one of ah, two of us are gay. <laughs> Um, I didn't want to out you. <laughs> well, and Jay's the anomalous. But no, so, and this is, kind of, this is something that I think is kind of fun when I go to speaking engagements, and, and we, di we discuss this topic. Um, you take a crowd of ten, and you can go one, two, three, gay. One, two, three, gay. One, two, three. And when you really think about that, when you go to a ward or a state, go to state conference. Let's just, let's just take a ward, for example, 400 people. And conservatively, let's say that 10% of the people in uh, that congregation are identified somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum. So, 1 in 10, at that ward, 40 members of that ward are queer. Think about that. Like, we're not talking about one or two people in the city. We're talking about 40 in a ward. Or 400 in a state center with multiple wards. Or when you start talking about the, the sheer numbers, it's my, there are more gay people than there are people with red hair. There are more gay people than left-handers. You're left-handed, aren't you? No. Who was, which one of our friends is left-handed? I don't know. I'm not left-handed. Someone was. So I'm, I'm not, so I didn't get the double anomaly. But, um, so when you really think of numbers so like that... Buy lottery tickets at that point, Kyle. We should. <laughs> why, why aren't we discussing this more? Um, and, and it's because finally family members are coming out. Finally more people are coming out. Uh, uh, finding 
places that they they've they kind of feel comfortable and feel like they're part of that herd really literally finding their herd and it's it's not that we're making more gays if anyone blame the straights because my parents that created the gays right um so if you want to blame anyone for this topic blame our parents blame the straights well, we'll bring your mother in we'll have a stern lecture with her i already have Side note, she found a picture of me at the Hogle Zoo next to the, the uh, lion drinking fountain. And I had like a crop top. I don't even remember buying it. She must have bought it for me. But it was a mesh crop top with um, almost MC Hammer pants. And I was like doing something really weird in front of the drinking fountain. And she's like, should have known. <laughs> the signs were always there. The sign, signs were, apparently they were always there. So, yeah, to answer your question, what do we do differently? Um, open your eyes. Realize that uh, statistically there are people in your own family that will identify along the spectrum, um, and there's zero zero reason to treat them any differently. Uh, this is not something that they chose, like we talked about earlier in the episode. Uh, they woke up one morning and just said, hey, I think gay is great. Um, society loves it. Like, no discrimination. It's the cool thing to do. It's the cool thing to do. Like We should sign up. I like That's what happened to me. It was like a seven-day free trial, like BMG. I forgot to cancel. I was stuck with being gay and 12 CDs for a penny. Well, if you still got the credit card receipt, because you might be able to contact uh, them, and, and, you know, sometimes they got extended warranties and things. Yeah, I'm going to join a class action. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think I mean, from from my perspective, it's it's awkward. It's embarrassing to, to confront who you were, how you felt. And it, it is. It's a hard conversation to have. Even having you come in here, knowing that this is what we're going to talk about, we kind of, you know, shoot the bull for a little bit, then it's like, okay, how do we breach the subject? How do I not say the wrong things? How do I, you know, I don't want to just be like, hey, I know a guy that's gay. His name's Kyle. Here he is. He grew up in Nephi. Tell everyone your story, Kyle. Yeah. You know, it's, it is. It's it's a, it's a still kind of a hard thing to do. Yeah, I, there's, and I think that, uh, like, that level of a comfortableness is really cool. Like, I think vulnerability is, is super awesome. The fact that, the fact that, A, you would say, we're going to broach this subject and, I think I should bring in someone who's willing to talk about it, I think is commendable. Like, I wish we had more conversations like this, that we're able to open up the door and have a discussion about hard things and realize that, um, yeah, sometimes they're really hard, but at the, at the end of the day, um, my truth doesn't, yes, it should move the needle, but it doesn't really mean, me being gay is just a single part of who I am. There's so much more about me that... Um, that is my identity, and then I think that's the that's the that lesson. Um, if more people understood that, I think we could get um, into a much more inclusive and understanding a place of understanding so much quicker when we realize that uh, we spend way too much time labeling people and way too much time worried about who and what they are, and not about um, the things that they bring to the table and the goodness and, and the decent people that they are. Being gay is just a single part of me. I'm also a business owner, and I'm a dad, and that I do all kinds of things that make up that other parts, the other parts of me. Just being gay is just a small part. So, for, yeah, I think it's important that we have these conversations and that we're not um, tiptoeing around them. I know, I know when I came out, um, you reached out to me. I think that was commendable. And you apologized. Um, and not that I remember or kept tally of all the awful things that people said. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a list. You remember, it was a happy Gilmore 
There's an Adam Sandler film where that guy's going to prison and he has his list of people he's going to murder when he gets out. I'm sure each gay guy, and you can confirm this with me, <laughs> you got two of you here, so you can confirm. You got a list of everyone that's ever said anything to you in high school or, or through life. You write it down, and at some point you're going to get us. You know what? This may surprise you, but I actually remember the ones who loved me and the <laughs> ones who, who cared for me over the ones who said awful things. Um, so I think that should also be a great lesson. Um, that those who show kindness first and and that inclusivity that we talked about earlier, uh, you're gonna you'll make far more hay when that sun shines than you will having the evil out of sadly list. Um, there were a couple like I do remember. I re- I knew it. Yeah, <laughs> but not anybody in my. I guess it would be friends with you if uh, if you were that awful, or maybe you were just the best I could get. I mean, we were kind of stuck together. We worked a few jobs and stuff together, so yeah, I remember we spent your, some time. I should spill some tea. I remember your dad. I don't. I think I might. I might have told you this once, but your dad um, called me and he said, "Kyle, I had a terrible dream last night." And I said, "Okay, what was the, what was the dream?" He said, "I woke up in the middle of the night and Derek was forty and still living in my basement. Can you get him a job?" And I said, "Sure." And so it was at Circle C. And there's many stories that came from that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. We, that should be a whole other that should have been a whole other album. We could have owned it. If Brendan would have spent even a half hour with Rick and Paul and Salty Dogs and Kent and the Coffee Club and the Trucker Bombs and the Lot Lizards. That was the Nephi I knew and loved. <laughs> so we had to take a little break, but I, I wanted to share a memory of Kyle that um, I has come up many, many times in the last few years, and I don't know why. It just it just comes up as like a roommate story. Um, he wasn't my roommate, but I remember hearing a story. I think I heard it from your mouth about. You can tell me if I'm wrong. You had a roommate that was drinking your milk from the shared fridge at college, and they wouldn't stop. And so you put some rotten milk in there, and they drank it. And so they learned not to touch your stuff anymore. I actually the lemon juice. In That's what it was. Oh, <laughs> you heard that, and you've been telling <laughs> that story. That's the highlight of Jimmy's life. Right Whatever I hear about roommates that aren't, you know, doing their part to wash dishes or eating their food. You know, I've got nieces and nephews going to college now, and they talk. You know, you hear roommate horror, horror stories, and um, that one comes up as one of the best ones I've ever heard. Lemon juice. Getting revenge on a roommate who's eating your stuff. My dad told me that, and he said lemon juice spoils the milk in a heartbeat. And he's like, and if they're just chugging your stuff, lemon juice. Like, I'll even, like, milk is 89 cents or something. Like, it was just, I love, like, two Totino's, Totino's pizzas. It's hard times. It was hard times. Um, and he, he's the one that told me, and I dumped a whole bunch of lemon juice in my milk. It stopped. That was the end of it. And I know exactly which roommate did that. Same one we were just talking about? Same one we were just talking about. <laughs> so I just wanted to mention that um, after this discussion, or throughout this discussion, I've been thinking about how... Uh, when you're in junior high, when you're in high school, it's a time when you have a really strong desire to fit in. It's just like one of the biggest, you know, I guess it's just a human, it's a human desire is to fit in. And when you're at that age trying to figure out, figure out how it works, how you fit in, one of the ways that people tend to try to fit in is by finding those that they can exclude, finding those that they can make fun of that are different. You know, if I, if I join in this conversation making fun of this person because of the color of their hair or their size or, you know, their nose or whatever. There's. It's easy to find ways to 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 um, to to exclude others and to make them different. Um, 
when it's just as easy to find things that you have in common, things that um, can bring you together, and everyone can have such could just have a much happier life. <laughs> you know that time of life is such a hard time. You know, and Brandon talks. It's the time when Brandon lived in Nephi, and you know I've got kids growing up, getting to be that age, and I'm I'm terrified of, you know, what what they're going to face, what how who's going to try to be mean to them. You know, it's just such an unfortunate way that that we we learn to grow up. It just seems like um, we we learn to to try to fit in by excluding others, and it's just it's just sad. <laughs> it is, but we're I think we're getting better. I mean, it's tough though too. I I mean, we have four kids too, and I mean I look at that and I like our daughter who's eleven. She eleven? Yeah. Um, she's going through the mean girl stage. Like she's sifting through friends because um, of all those like the things that girls go through. And and I think, oh, I feel bad, and I don't want anyone to hurt my daughter, and I don't want anyone to um, like bully her or be mean to her, and I also don't want my daughter being the bully and being mean and. Um, I don't know, maybe we're just finding new things to marginalize, maybe we're finding new things to complain, but I, I look at certain top, the things that really impacted me growing up and I say, oh, we're hands down far better than we ever were um, when I was in school. I, if my son came out, or one of my daughters came out, um, I think it would be almost a non-starter. It would be a zero, especially just in, under our umbrella and my ex-wife's home and our friends' home, like our circle, it would be of zero issue, like okay, what else did you eat for lunch? Like, there, that wouldn't be a gigantic topic of discussion. So I, I do think that we we do have, we have made some progress in some areas. Maybe, hopefully we're not replacing them with one one way of making fun of somebody or, or deme- uh, demoralizing or demeaning them uh, for another. Hopefully not. I, I think we are doing better. Well, let's kind of put a, I don't know, cap on it. But before we do, I just want to talk again about the suicide issue. Um, it's a problem. Uh, back in the 90s and throughout the song, it, it's it's there. Um, for kids listening, I don't know who's listening. I don't know who might be having these struggles, these problems. Uh, again, I can't relate on that aspect. I can tell them it gets better. Go talk to somebody you trust. I know that aspect. But somebody that's going through this in a small town, maybe a religious community, what advice do you have or, or what can we say? Because we don't want kids committing suicide. No, no. If, if you're having feelings of ideation, um, self-harm, um, feelings of depression, reach out. There are, there's a whole community of people out here who are willing to, um, sometimes it's not necessarily changing you or fixing your situation, but often just sitting with you in your pain and letting that subside and, and having the ability to, to um, talk about hard things and, and share difficult parts of your journey. Uh, in my other life, outside of recording podcast episodes with you, Derek and Jimmy, um, I host a podcast myself, um, which was the very reason for starting or picking up that podcast. Um, it's 12 years old. When it was back, it was started when podcasts were just kind of becoming the cool thing, and so all these years later, it um, has still stuck around. Um, it originally, it was called the Gay Mormon Stories Podcast. And then it was rebranded into a podcast called uh, Latter Gay Stories. But the message of that podcast is really answering your question. It is a way to help people no longer feel like they're the only ones out there, that they are alone, that nobody else shares this same thing about me. Um, For me personally, that was a gigantic realization that I wasn't alone. I thought I was the only gay person out there. 
then the only gay person who did everything he could to not be gay, and then the only gay person out there who married a woman, and then the only gay person who married a woman in a temple still trying to do all the things that he thought was right, who had served a mission, who then had children, who then just got himself so far indebted to the system that he thought was going to change him and fix this part of him that he had despised his whole life. That's depressive, and, and that's tough. And for some people who aren't um, capable or in a position to manage or mitigate those steps, those pivotal moments in your life, suicidality becomes a very real thing. Um, sometimes our own religious institutions teach us that um, none of this will exist in the next life. This goes away when you die. The resurrection fixes you. That opens a door to these feelings of, idea, of suicidal uh, ideation, where people say, if I really wanted to get rid of these feelings and no longer want to be depressed, that's why suicide, especially within religious communities, um, is so inviting. And that's why it is so high in Utah. We have the highest number of teen suicides in the nation, uh, right here in the state of Utah. And why is that? Um, what else do we have a high number of? Religious influence in, in our lives. And there's a direct correlation there. So um, reach out. There, there, is a whole, there are communities of people out here who are willing to support you. My own podcast is, is a great opportunity to meet people who are, who are in your similar situation. And people reach out anonymously at first. Um, they reach out with fake profiles um, because no, they don't want the people in their sphere or their world to find out who and what they are. And that's perfectly normal, and that's okay. Um, I say come out for the first time. Step into the, the light, uh, even if it's for five minutes, and go back in again um, just so you know that it's safe. And when you realize where you're not alone, um, then something kind of miraculous happens. Uh, you want to find people who are like you. When you realize, I'm not the, the only anomaly out there, you start to find people who can relate to you, and you build friendships. Um, and those friendships are actually genuine, and they're real, because you don't have to hide anything. You're not going into it. There's so much that le is left unspoken in those friendships, because you don't need to mention them, and you don't need to talk about them. And so it's an easy way of um, not just living with an elephant in the room, but moving into a whole new room completely. And, and not having um, something you have to decorate around or something that you have to avoid. So find that, that group. Find, I often call it finding your herd. Go out there and find people who are like you, like deer or antelope or elk. Um, forage and roam and, and find the hillside that best suits you. And when you find that community, you quickly learn that you're not alone and that you're not broken. They're, when you find people who are similar to you, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, to know that um, some of the same struggles that you went through were familiar. And there's sometimes a deafening and defeating part of that as well, because you thought, oh man, I was so unique, and I thought I was the only one out here, and you realize your story is the same as 12,000 other people. There's something kind of refreshing about that as well. Um, and so again, for those, of, for those who do listen to this, um, be kind. Be kind to yourself. Um, and I know October is uh, October 11th, is National Coming Out Day, which I remember as a Mormon missionary. Um, I was, I served my mission in Michigan, and there was an, we were on a, a college campus in uh, October 11th, because it's always on the same day. And uh, in the quad, in this campus, these college students set up this door, this closet in the middle of the quad, and uh, it was for National Coming Out Day. And we had our little Book of Mormon family history table set up in that same area. And for an hour, we watched people walk through this closet. And 
on the other side of this door uh, were this whole group of people who were hugging and embracing and, and supporting. And I just thought, I mean, I'm hella gay at the time <laughs> um, with my companion. And I just thought what I would give to not be at the family history table and walk through that closet and like be around all these people. And that, those are the, the thoughts you have even as a Mormon missionary. So community is, is super important. And finding a group of people that um, can honor your experience, um, not only is life changing, but in many instances is life saving. And we're in the business of saving lives. I think we're in the business of, of helping other people uh, become better people. And um, I don't think there's any harm in that. So yeah, you're not alone. You're not broken. And there really will be better days ahead, I promise you. Stick, stick around. Yeah, well, thanks, for Kyle, for coming to talk to us. I think it's been eye-opening, and hopefully it will be helpful for those listening to, to see that perspective. And, you know, we've had, we've had, had some questions on, online as we've asked for questions that we can address on the podcast um, asking about this topic, and uh, we thought it was better to have somebody in that experience rather than us just, like, giving our opinion. So Yeah, and where you have a Facebook page, I think it would be cool for your people, for your listeners to even post those questions there and uh, answer them, like... I'd be happy to weigh in and just share a little bit of my experience. Nephi could do some cool things, like uh, Terrible Things talks about the bathing beauty contest. Where is our bathing men contest? You want <laughs> to talk actually about inclusion? Fun fact. <laughs> Going back to like probably the early 90s, I remember there being a... So we'll get into the bathing beauty when we break down, but it was a parade during the stampede where the women, or I guess they were girls in town would drive through town on a, on a souped-up car or truck or whatever. But there was one year, because you'd go watch it as a family, because it's wholesome entertainment, right? <laughs> it's very religious, and it all makes sense when you think about it. But at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the, the parade, it probably, I don't know, I remember weird stuff, Kyle, you know this. There was, a, there was a float that said, this one's for the ladies. And it was a bunch of guys in their, their Speedos or whatever, and it was, it, was, it was a joke. But there actually has been uh, men through the bathing duty, so... There you have it. We, them scholarship dollars were there, too. Case closed. <laughs> I missed my opportunity. No, not that I'd ever stand in the back of a pickup truck at a speedo. But. You might have uh, been, a, you know, in the crowd just taking in the uh, atmosphere. Yeah, the Old Mill Park is, is made to believe that fits the whole town as everyone showed. Not necessarily the case. Quite small. It fits about 30 lawn chairs because I remember doing that at one time. Yeah, I mean, if you guys have any questions or whatever, Kyle's on Facebook. Uh, he's got his podcast out there. You can go listen, talk to him there. He's very easy to find or get a hold of. Um, we're easy to find and get a hold of. And I think that's going to do it for us. I think that's another uh, podcast down from Lonely Town. Thanks for coming in, Kyle. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks. <laughs>